Hey, this is Pastor Nate Cook, and you're listening to Pontificating Pastors, a podcast where we lock two pastors in a room and just let them talk about anything and everything. My friend Michael Pig is a church planner in San Marcos, Texas, and I'm a traditional church pastor here in Midwest City, Oklahoma. Special shout out to Russell Martz for the awesome intro music. You can find Russell on SoundCloud at Sprouts Music, S-P-R-O-U-T-Z. And now, we hope you'll enjoy this episode of Pontificating Pastors. Hey, Michael, how are you doing this week? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. This week, I uh, I was at a, a banquet, a fundraising banquet, and um, we were, it's called School Fuel, and I, I serve on that the board there, and uh, I was greeting people at the door, and the guy opposite me, who I would never have guessed, uh, leans over and goes, hey man, I've been listening to your podcasts. I really like that pontificating pastors thing. That's Really? Weird. Yeah, yeah, so it's kind of a... Cool that thing. is cool. Um, is listening. Yeah, well, I saw on the iTunes app. Okay, so we have a couple of reviews. And this is my plug for anybody who listens regularly. Please go review us on iTunes if you're an Apple user. Um, we have one review that as soon as I saw it, I knew exactly who it was. Um, so this review says, Nate is a little too Pelagian. And, uh, so, so one of my interns, every time he wanted to say something, it was like, I would, I would give him a hard time. His name's Parker Meads and Parker, you're getting outed on this episode of of the podcast. But, but Parker would always, when we talk about somebody's preaching or my preaching on Sunday, when we've been in our intern meeting, he'd always say, well, you know, that's kind of borderline Pelagian. And for those of you who don't know what Pelagian means, it it basically just means that in some way we, our efforts earn our salvation. That was the heresy of Pelagius. But I think that is the only uh, big word that Parker learned throughout (laughs) his four years. No, probably not, but he liked to use it a lot. So when I saw the review that said Nate is a little too Pelagian for my taste, I just died laughing. He did give us five stars, though. Uh, but yeah, but but he uh, he thought I was a little too Pelagian. So if if you hear any Pelagius coming out of me, uh, just let me know. Although I think it was mostly a joke. Parker, you can earn your forgiveness with Nate by listening to every podcast here on out. That's right. And uh, they are hosting a wedding at our church this summer. Parker's getting married, if you can believe that. Um, yeah. I, I remember when we were hanging out together, he was a uh, little blonde haired junior high kid, but uh, he's already graduated from college and getting married. So uh, if he, if he gets uh, too much on me about Pelagianism, he may not be able to earn a wedding venue. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, I'm just kidding. We love you, Parker. Well, uh, speaking of folks that we know and we've uh, enjoyed their company, I will be performing a wedding this weekend. Um, for Jace Bagwell. You remember Jace Bagwell? Yeah. 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 Be driving That's out awesome. Nacogdoches, Texas uh, tomorrow. 
uh, looking forward to being with Jace and uh, and his uh, fiance Aaron. And uh, but I, I he was saying to me the other day um, that he remembered a conversation, a vivid conversation that really had shaped him and really gave him some insight. Uh, between one of our uh, SNU professors, uh, Dr. Forsberg, and um, and Joe Ibanez, who is the oh pastor, wow yeah uh, pastor of a Nazarene church in uh, um, in Georgetown, Texas. And uh, this morning, I saw Joe just this morning over in New Braunfels, uh, talking about church planting. And he said, "Hey, on the way here, I listened to pontificating pastors." And so Joe's listening. Which we can bring that thing all the way around to <laughs> Joe was in my first youth group. He was a little seventh grader. I mean, and now, you know, married kids, great oh. pastor of a great church there in Georgetown, Texas. In fact, if you're in Georgetown, Texas, you need to go to the Nazarene church there. Joe and Dusty are doing some great things. So, uh, man, it's so cool to hear all these connections. Um, this week, I got to baptize a kid from our church. And one of the coolest things is he has just signed to play Division One basketball at Texas State, where you're at. Mason. And so, yeah, Mason Harrell. I mean, this kid, if if you saw him at church, he's real quiet and real shy. Uh, you put him on a basketball court. He was the Gatorade player of the year in Oklahoma. And uh, he's going to be down your way. So it was like, I'm just passing him on. I told him, hey. We give Michael your number. He's going to be trying to call you on Sunday. Make sure you wake up and stuff. Uh, <laughs> no, just but but it's cool to see how the kingdom of God kind of all comes full circle, and uh, how how these connections are are more than just uh, people we brush into over the years, but they kind of live and grow and breathe. Um, yeah, that's cool stuff. Yeah. So I was thinking this week, I keep hearing this word that you use and. And you like to use words that I don't normally use in conversation. So sometimes I'm taken aback even like like you were talking about uh, homogeneous communities last time. And it was getting we did it 23 minutes. And, and I wanted to kind of maybe jump back into that because I thought if there's anything we need to talk about right now is in our in our world, there is a lot of uh, homogeny. There's a lot of everybody moving to people like them both race and and in in tastes and and like how we live so uh and then i see this week um this governor's ad in georgia and and i'm thinking what in the world is going on this guy who's running for governor his name is michael williams and he has a bus he's created and he is going to take people who are not here legally back to mexico on his bus and uh, I am just like, how in the world and who are letting these people, I mean, who's going to vote for these people? And yet uh, some even up in our highest offices, we, we're beginning to see this kind of rhetoric about uh, moving more and more towards homogeneous, which for those of you who don't use that word like me, just means where we're all the same, where everybody you hang out with looks like you, acts like you. And maybe we could talk about that in the church. Um, because it, it, it has been a long-standing problem that the church, uh, Martin Luther King says, the most segregated hour in America is like 11 o'clock on a Sunday morning. Yeah. And so uh, thoughts about that? and uh, Yeah, not even just between congregations, but even within the singular congregation, uh, we, we've gotten pretty good at uh, age group segregation. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, we, 
we even we even have you know a, a young marrieds class and then we also have a singles class and we have a, a seniors class and then we have a uh, you know our junior high ministry and our senior high ministry and then we have uh, you know every kid's class is broken up by age level and that's not to say that the, that's all a bad thing but there is certainly a movement within the individual congregations within the church to uh, stop siloing that's what we've been calling it lately is we we create silos where everybody uh, you know kind of retreats to the place where all the people like you are in a silo um, and you know uh, I remember being a part of a congregation where we uh, we brought in uh, we invited in a a, a boys home uh, where there were some boys from a uh, foster care situations, and the, you can imagine that there was diversity there. And so, uh, our congregation wasn't terribly diverse, but this home was. And these right. boys come in, and they would respond to the gospel. They would respond to the the movement of the spirit, uh, and they would every every Sunday they were in in the, in the altar, uh, you know, going down to to a place of prayer at that appropriate time during the service, and uh, and praying. And uh, so they were teaching us, you know, how to approach the Father once again. And there was all this diversity uh, because they, they, the color of skin was different. Their background was uh, very different from a lot of the teens in our youth group. And uh, that diversity taught us more about the kingdom of heaven than our homogeny ever could. Uh, and we we tried to make this move from uh, uniformity back to to a, a real unity because when there's uniformity, it's not hard to be unified because everybody already thinks the same and acts the same, has the same socioeconomical status, you know. Whereas if there's uh, if there's diversity, uh, then then we actually have to work at being in relationship. You know, sometimes uh, the only thing that keeps holy love is the only thing that keeps the conversation going. Uh, that's a Dan Boone line. Uh, he, that's a good one. Yeah, he he likes to say that that holy love keeps us in this conversation, and um, I think that's what that's what unity. The beauty of unity uh, is that it's not necessarily uniform. It is full of diversity, and if it's not, then we uh, then we then we may just be exercising uh, comfort and calling it unity. And I think there may be something really wrong with that. Right, and I think you make a good point when you talk about the idea that it's not just uh, race um, diversity. We talk about age group diversity. So, yeah, I was just starting youth ministry when youth ministry was a siloed approach. We never, you know, the youth were pulled away from everybody else. Every service seemed like as much as possible because, you know, they needed someone hip and relevant to talk to them. And one of my favorite things that I've ever done as a youth pastor was a it was a Valentine's banquet where we brought in senior adults and and teenagers together. And so that tends to be a really wide gap age wise. When you think about these teenagers who had grown up with these devices in their hands their whole life and you think back to people who had grown up at times where, you know, like they didn't have a TV in the house, like you couldn't afford it. Or, or maybe, you know, they had just just gotten their first car at some point in their life. Um, and so so it was really cool. We did this thing. It was called Then and Now. And so we had them write down the price of like stamps and gas and cars and houses like when they were growing up. And then we did one that was kind of a combined thing of, of right now. Who's their favorite like movie star and 
And so we had these girls, uh, we had this little old lady who was really sweet and, and, and just kind of unassuming. And at that time, Matthew McConaughey, you know, it was back before he was to doing commercials for most of his business, but he was in all the movies. And this little old lady put that was her favorite movie star. So immediately all the 16-year-old girls just flocked to her and were like, all of a sudden they had something in common. They realized their, their even just their interests um, were more aligned than they thought. And and through that day, uh, I thought it was really cool to watch um, teenagers really interact with these senior adults and vice versa. And, and they'd come to church together for years and probably never spoken to each other. It was, it was a decent sized church, you know, three, 350 people there. Um, and so you could avoid each other if you really wanted to. Um, but, but it was a beautiful day. Um, so I, I think that is definitely something uh, that we continually struggle with, not sure. only racially, but but it's also age-wise. And, and just sure. anyone who doesn't think like us, you, you can think about politically, we get in silos um, and, and we just want to hear people who think like us because it, it, if you bring up that at dinner table with somebody who doesn't agree with you, um, you're afraid World War III may break out or something. Sure, we don't talk about religion or politics at the table because it's just rude. I think you got a you know a point with the age thing there. Um, the other day, I had a very quiet young man. I went to Guitar Center. We were purchasing a cajon, which is a box drum, and um, I was taking him because he's the drummer. And uh, and so we went, and I told him, I said, "All right, for the next five minutes, you have to carry the conversation," because he's real quiet, and I usually have to keep the conversation going. And so I just threw that at him, and he had topics ready. And the first topic he wanted to talk about was a hundred and six-year-old man, uh, and tell me about this article he read, and and. And then to carry keep the conversation going to talk about uh, all the things that a man who's 106 years old might have seen in his lifetime. Yeah. Which I thought was incredible. So here we have a 17-year-old boy, 18-year-old boy, who wants to talk about a 106-year-old man. Uh, and, and I think, you know, to, to the 106-year-old man probably would think, oh, well, they're not interested in anything I have to say. But here was a 17-year-old who was interested in... Uh, and that was the first topic of conversation that he wanted to bring up. Um, you know, so I think, I think we really do ourselves a disservice when we separate everybody else uh, out and assume that they don't want to hear what I have to say. I think, you know, we do that with, um, with gender issues. I think we do that with age issues. We certainly do it with racial issues. Um, and then we create this taboo where we're, where we're not allowed to talk about it. I remember, you know, just acknowledging uh, once the color of someone's skin and somebody looking at me and calling me and saying, well, that was racist. And I'm thinking, uh, I don't know that it is racist. Uh, just to acknowledge that somebody's heritage is different than mine is not racism. But we've kind of, we, we've been making so many apologies in the media and we've been making, you know, and, and we just harp on it all the time and just focus so solely on it that pe we've got people afraid to say anything. And so we've muted the conversation in a lot of ways because we're afraid we're going to say something incorrect. Um, and and so I, think, I think there's a, a culture of fear around diversity. Yeah. And that's a good point. I, w I was hoping you'd bring that up too, um, because, you know, diversity is a good thing. And 
sometimes we want to we want to people would want to say, well, I'm colorblind. I don't notice color. And and that's not a good way to go either. Um, it's not a good way to go where we just say, oh, we'll just pretend like everyone is the same color. Everyone is the same age of uh, noticing our differences is not the issue. I, I was actually watching a TED talk at a recent uh, set of meetings um, and, and it was by a lady named Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie, and she uh, is this kind of uh, champion for the the idea of the power of one story and kind of fighting this idea of racism by learning people's stories. And and she talked about stereotypes, and, and I thought it was pretty interesting uh, because a lot of times we would say, well, well, let's just run from the stereotype and 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 we don't want to stereotype people. But she said the, the issue with stereotypes is is not that they're not true. The issue is that they're incomplete. So whenever you just boil someone down to a stereotype, uh, then you're not hearing their entire story. So when Paula and I were in Fort Worth, uh, we had a young man who was black who was living in our house. And after living with us for about a month, he said, uh, do you guys eat anything besides Mexican food? Um, and, and if you've been around us, you know, that's very true. Very true. Um, and, and he said, do you guys ever eat fried chicken? And, and I was just joking with him. I said, well, I don't want to stereotype you like that. And he said, oh, no, we like fried chicken. <laughs> Can we go get some fried chicken? And we just we just laughed about it because it was the idea was um, the stereotype maybe maybe had some truth to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that to stereotype someone means to reduce them to just the basic most basic part of their story. Um, and, and for that, that becomes really, really troublesome. It's when we get into someone's life. So, so this kid lived with us for 18 months. And so, you know, that that person is not reduced to the stereotype and he knows that we were not reduced to the stereotype of the crazy white people. Uh, I mean, we are a little bit crazy and we, (laughs) we are white, but, but he learned things about us that, uh, he could have never known without living together and struggling together and getting frustrated with each other and all the things you do in families. And so we're not allowed to have those conversations publicly um, just because, you know, we've, we've created such a stigma about it. We were out at a restaurant the other day. We have a, we have some friends. They live about four or five houses down from us and um, they ha- their kids are the same age as our kids. Uh, they're a, a Mexican family. And uh, so we go to the, we go to this restaurant and we're eating and, and uh, we had to sit at two different tables because there's 10 of us. And so uh, all of our sons sat together. So there were four boys sitting together at one table. And then uh, husband, wife, and daughter on one side of a booth and husband, wife, and daughter on the other side of a booth. And um, the waiter, you know, comes to the end of the meal and the waiter goes, uh, are these separate checks or are these all together? And, of course, we're trying to explain, you know, uh, these three and those two over there, and and our friend, <laughs> our friend, she says, um, put all the Mexicans on one ticket and all the white people on a different ticket. And, <laughs> how how did that go over? And the waiter, he just like froze. And he's like, I I don't I know don't what think, to do with that. I don't think you can say that out loud. <laughs> so and I, I'm you know I, what are the rules? Like I think everybody's just confused and concerned about what the rules are. Um, and when she said that, of course, you know, being good friends, we all just had a good laugh about it. 
But um, but it just unnerved the waiter. He wasn't sure what to do with himself, so he just went away and brought back two separate tickets. Uh, you know, in the fashion that she had asked for. Right. And, yeah, and and I think uh, one of the great things in that story is that the relationship's deep enough. Um, to handle the joking around and stuff like that. I, I think where we, people get on their tiptoes is when we don't really know people, when we don't know people, uh, we're a little nervous about maybe how to approach, um, age issues, race issues. Uh, but it's by getting into those relationships together, um, that, that we really begin to learn to love each other and to know each other. And, and, and then maybe our, our language, um, begins to fit, the relationship that we have. I, one of my, one of the things that I loved most about our ministry in Fort Worth, um, we lived in a town in Fort Worth that had been a very rural community. Um, you might even say maybe redneck. Um, and because of the gentrification of downtown Fort Worth, um, there, the, the population was changing um, so you had a lot of inner city kids moving into this kind of redneck environment. Um, there were a, a lot, a lot more races present than had been present in the past. And so there was kind of becoming this melting pot where before it had been pretty homogeneous. And so we would see a lot of fights like at our local movie theaters, race and race fights and things like that. And so I kept just saying, um, to my people, my, my teens, when they would come, we we had begun to um, just minister to the community at large. Uh, we didn't care what race they were. Uh, and I began to say, once we can see that we all of us, different races, are getting along together, um, that's when we'll know the kingdom of God it has broken in among us, uh, because that's not going on in our community. And one of my favorite pictures to this day is a picture of about 70 kids and just a mixture of all different kinds of people, um, adults uh, that are working with our youth and the kids uh, from the neighborhood next door and kids from different high schools around um, all together. And just, it was a goofy picture. You know, you take the serious ones and then you take the goofy one. They're just all up in these bleachers. And I keep it with me all the time to remind me, uh, this is what the kingdom of God looks like uh, when people who aren't supposed to get along begin to get along, uh, then, you know, God has broken in, uh, in the midst of that situation. I like to, I like to say that oftentimes the difference between loving someone and hating them is simply knowing their story. Right. Yeah. And to which, to which I've had people respond, but sometimes when I know their story, it makes me hate them more. Um, which, which is unfortunate, uh, because I would argue that, uh, you would, you would know maybe the story about them. Um, but you right, know, maybe you know, not their version of the story. Their version of the story, um, yeah. and, that, and that's the real hard part: is hearing their version and not p- applying the overlay of your predispositions and your preconceptions. And and you know, uh, I, you know, I've seen people who, you know, I've seen an orphan lifted out of the orphanage, uh, put into uh, the white middle class affluent family, given everything. But because they, in their early years, had had just longed to survive, you know, had had fought for survival, that you know, when they got to the university, they said, you know, this isn't for me, um, because 
they they weren't trying to rule the world. They weren't trying to own everything. They weren't trying to be rich, uh, and this and settle for a clerk position, uh, their own car, and a nice apartment. Um, and that was just enough for them. And watch watch the middle class white family question: Is that success? You know, uh, you know. But uh, we we can't define the way uh, success works for everybody. Uh, in terms of you know a marketplace that we grew up in, we have to we have to give people room for their story to to play out and and I think sometimes we you know in that uniformity conversation that's that's why we've got universities packed with kids who don't know what they want to do with their life uh, they've never thought about it they or if they have thought about it they haven't come to a conclusion. I talked to a university student the other day who said I really don't want to finish school I just want to go get a job and you know, get married, buy a house, and raise my kids. Wasn't thinking about you know building an empire. Just wanted a humble, a humble existence. Uh, as a matter of fact, sometimes I'm I'm almost convinced in some regards that that uh, the university is just a way for us to uh, to keep all of those kids out of uh, out of the job market a little bit longer. Uh, so <laughs> we couldn't handle them if they flooded into it, you know. But then then that argument could be made for high school as well. But. Right. Well, and I think part of that is like you're saying, everybody has a different story and to try to put everybody in the same mold. Uh, so many kids go to college having no idea uh, what they want to do with their life. And then it just becomes like a second high school, if you will. Um, and and you can tell who comes back to college, like the older people that come back to college and they know what they want to do because they actually read the books they actually <laughs> study because they're like this i i need this for what i'm doing in life um that's kind of when i went back for my masters i'm like if i don't apply myself um i'm not getting a promotion when i get done with this i will be a pastor but i just want to learn and so um so yeah i think there's definitely that um trying to fit everybody in the same mold is, is another version of that uh just trying to make everybody uniform um, well, I think this Sunday is a great Sunday for us to talk about this yes. because Pentecost is upon us. And, uh, first thing we see at Pentecost is the, the disciples just rushing out into the streets and beginning to preach and everyone hearing it in their own language. And it's kind of that reversal of Babel where, yeah. where all the nations are brought together and the picture of the kingdom of God from, uh, from the biblical perspective is one of many nations. It's it kind of begins in Judaism, but it is spread out to the entire world. And so I think that's something for us to remember too. Sure. Yeah. It gives it gives credence to that claim that Paul makes uh, several times in his epistles: uh, neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. Uh, and then and then go into talking about the the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the ability, you know, kind of the uh, the priesthood of every believer, uh, kind of way of thinking. Um, where, where we're all invited into the story of God, uh, the one God who created all of us, uh, and we, and, and and even in in John, where Jesus talks about the coming of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is this uh, this unifying uh, power in the universe, where 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 God says, "Where I am present, you'll be able to get along with one another in holy love, and and live together in peace and harmony." Yeah, and I think that's that's the biggest thing about the church that that one of the things we realize when we 
when we approach God is that we all stand on the same footing as far as we all are, are, are just in need of grace. We're, yes. we're the ones, we're the dogs just trying to get breadcrumbs, if you will, you know? Um, and, and so it doesn't matter uh, what race you are. It doesn't matter how old you are, or how young you are. You know, even if you were saved when you were three and you're 95, you still need God's grace. And so there's a sense in which that experience of seeking God uh, brings us together, not doesn't erase our, our differences uh, like we we're talking about, but it actually um, it makes uh, this this whole group of people who shouldn't be together, probably by all the world's uh, estimation. It brings them together in Christ. One of the things I love about my current church is I, you know, we just went on a, a all church retreat and you've got teenagers watching people's babies and you've got senior adults. Uh, and my church right now is one of the more diverse groups I've been uh, privileged enough to minister in. And I really, really love that about our church. It's, it's, uh, it's, we could do better always, but I think uh, when the spirit of God is present, that, that unity is the thing that begins to uh, bleed through. We, we won't get it perfect all the time, but at least the uh, there will be that spirit of unity within a group of people. Yeah, and I think that's that's ultimately when we see the kingdom of God happen. Yeah, yeah. The kingdom comes and His will is done on earth as it is in heaven. When we when we love our neighbor as ourselves, you know, um, and that's that's really what the point is. I, we try to figure out some political way of dealing with this on some grandiose scale, but but Mother Teresa had it right. She would just ask the question: Do you know your neighbor? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and and that cuts to the heart of the issue is because once I know you, what I'm saying is I've heard your story. I've heard you tell your story and I've watched you live your story and I've I've invited you into my story. And and when we do that then we're there we're reconnecting with the story of God because he he didn't create us for isolation. He created created us for community and he didn't want us drawing a bunch of lines through that community about where everybody gets to stand. He wanted us to be uh free to welcome people to the table uh understanding that it's not our table. It's his table. Right, and that there's always room at that table. Um that the table is open to all um, I, I'm preaching out of revelation and, and it's, you know, all nations <laughs> that, that the people, the crowd will come from all nations. And, and I think that's a big thing for us. I try to remind my people when we get up on Sunday mornings, as often as I can, there are people worshiping in Asia and in Africa and in Europe and North America and South America, I mean, all over the globe. Uh, with us today, maybe not in the same time zone, same time slot, but we are part of the church universal. So, hey, I just looked up and we're at 30 minutes. This may be our longest podcast ever, but I think it's a good one and it's a relevant one for us at this point in history. And I, I would just say in closing for me that the church could being that light, um, being a place that's unifying, being a place that's diverse, uh, has the potential to be a great witness to the world. And, and I think that's another thing we, we see is that when people see a community like that, they're taken aback. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's going to require the, the presence of God, the Holy Spirit at work in us to make right. that happen. Not to make it happen. We try to make it happen and we'll kill it. 
but when we see it happen, because we didn't just pretend to love one another, we actually love one another. Uh, we, we do that when we stand in the presence of God together. Yeah. Well, great stuff, man. And, uh, I appreciate your willingness to, to talk a little longer today, but I, I think this is a topic that the world and the church really need to get involved in and, and discuss all the more maybe. All right. Well, love you. Hey, love you too, man. We'll see you next time. Okay. Bye. Hey, thanks again for listening to Pontificating Pastors. If you like what you're hearing, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes or Anchor or any one of the other platforms. We hope you have a great week.